This is David McCall, host of the QTS Experience Podcast. As we stand on the cusp of an era dominated by unparalleled computational demands, the future of data centers is undergoing a significant transformation. Some argue that traditional cooling methods are being outpaced, paving the way for advanced technologies to take center stage. Danielle Rossi is one of those people. She's Global Director, Mission Critical Cooling at Train, and she joins me this week to explain how liquid cooling could emerge as a front runner offering superior efficiency and a sustainable approach to managing the immense heat AI systems generate. Join us as we explore the transformative potential of liquid cooling on the next QTS Experience. The most valuable commodity on earth today is data. Make it, use it, move it, and protect it. My name's David McCall. Join me today for the QTS Experience. First of all, thank you again for coming on the show. One of the reasons why I wanted you to, um, to come on, besides classing up the place, so thank you for doing that, <laughs> is I've got to hear you speak a number of times about liquid cooling technology, specifically as it relates to computers in general, computer systems, data centers in particular. And you know, we're having a moment, we'll get to some of these questions a little bit later, but we're having a moment in our world. Well, I, let me set this thing up two ways. One, or two different ways of thinking of this question. One is we've been talking about the need to cool systems with something other than air for a very long time. And while there have been either special projects or pockets of that, at least in my personal experience, it hasn't been um, across our entire data hall or across a data center. And, and just for context, our data centers tend to be many hundreds of thousands of square feet, if not millions of square feet. So really big facilities. Um, and there may be a, um, a, a some number of racks, 10, 15, 20 racks, something like that, that might need some specialized thing. But that was, that was probably the most. But we've heard about this need for a long time. Now it feels like um, there's a lot going on, you know, with all of the uh, AI technology that's pushing compute limits with uh, blockchain conversations with other things that there is a a rapidly growing need if not actual reality to deliver these things so so one i'm curious you know do you agree with me on on yeah it feels like whatever the conversation has been up to this point it's really becoming a reality today and two if you could help us to understand what do we mean? Or just give us an overview. When we talk about liquid cooling, what does that mean? When we're not talking about setting up a sprinkler out on the IT floor <laughs> and flipping it on. So do you agree with the assessment that the momentum is now coming where we're going to have to cool this infrastructure a little bit differently than we have with air? And two, what do we mean? Or give us an overview about liquid cooling. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. It, it's We've had been in this conversation for so many years. It comes in and out every couple of years where people go, liquid cooling's coming, it's coming. Um, I'll give a minute-long history lesson, right? So there was the perimeter units back in the day. You've got the, they sit on the edge of the wall in the data center and they cool the, the whole space. Mm -hmm. um, that could handle a lot of the, the racks in the space were relatively, I'm just talking about data centers right now, mm -hmm. relatively low density they're say five kilowatts. And mm -hmm. then as time went on, servers got more dense and more dense. 
and you had to worry about the, the heat rising. Like you said, that that closet that you put together, that the room was super duper hot, right? right. Allegedly. Then, I allegedly put together. Yeah. I'm not sure statute of limitations <laughs> has expired yet. It, it was something you saw at once. Yeah, something, perhaps. Um, you heard about it from a friend. That's right. And they then had to make different cooling. So there became close coupled cooling. So cooling that was put next to it and it would handle higher densities and it would go up higher than that. And then it would, they added containment when it got more dense and higher to power. And you tried to just use the air as best you could. Mm -hmm. um, but there was always a limitation, even though the servers got hotter, it never really got to the point where you were getting to, you couldn't use the air cooling. And that's mm -hmm. why people kept saying it's coming, it's coming. So there's been liquid cooling in military applications, um, space applications for, for NASA and other, and other agencies um, that they've been using them since the 50s. Mm. So if, if there's an application that requires more cooling than can be cooled with air, something that's incredibly individually hot and very low footprint, but high, high density, you're going to require liquid cooling. It just hasn't happened in data centers up until pretty much now, mm -hmm. um, whereas other applications have been doing it for a long time. So it's not like it's a new technology. It's just something that's been not needed in the data center space until recently. And the reason to, you know, you're saying from it, it, it the reason it's happening now and, and why I do think it's coming is because the, the chip companies are already saying it's coming out, right? They're already coming out with these you know, three, 400 watt chips and they're extremely high density. And to the point where they, the chip companies will actually say these have to be cooled with liquid. They cannot right. be cooled with air. Yeah. It, um, and when we say density, we usually mean heat. You mean hot. So yeah. high density means a lot of heat. Hot, a lot of power, a lot of heat. Yeah. yeah. Gotcha. Uh, we, um, one of the things that our organization has done in the past um, in, in our early days, we bought a lot of distressed assets that were heavy duty industry, but were dormant. So chip uh, prefab uh, companies. And that was my first real exposure to a significant liquid cooling environment was the, our um, facility we bought in Richmond, Virginia, if I remember correctly, had a, a suite full. So I, I don't, I'm guesstimating. Um, but 20, 25 racks, which was a significant deployment then. And it was, um, uh, it was a liquid cool infrastructure. And I remember looking at it like it was a spaceship, like, wow, look <laughs> at this. I'd heard about you, but I'd never seen you. Aren't we nerds when we can walk into a room like that? Like it's a unicorn. No, <laughs> it's computers. It's not a unicorn, but it feels like it. I feel like I'm in the land of Tolkien and there's unicorns and dragons and it's pretty cool. So it is. Um, so as this is coming, what's the first, why don't we start with this? If we're thinking about it in context of data centers and computers, it, when we say liquid cooling, is it just all the same or are there different technologies that um, the industry can bring to bear to solve a problem? There, okay, there, there's people consider liquid cooling a couple different things. So I'm going okay. to just focus on direct liquid cooling. So when people say liquid cooling, sometimes they'll say, I'll put a door on the back of the rack and pump liquid through it. That right. to me, isn't really liquid cooling because it's liquid adjacent. It's not okay. even touching it. Um, but if you're talking about direct liquid cooling, so you have direct to chip, which is using the standard racks and servers that you've been using. Mm -hmm. um, but 
slightly different in the fact that liquid and dielectric fluid is being pumped into them from either um, cooling distribution unit, some type of pumping system it comes in um, direct to the rack and it's a, still a vertical rack. Mm -hmm. Then there's single phase and two phase immersion. Those are the other two. Okay. Um, those are horizontal racks. They lay flat. They look like a big, like, you know, where you keep, you know, all your beers in, right? There's this big freezer chest kind of deal. Mm. So um, much hotter than that, though. I don't recommend. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's two different types. Single phase is uh, a lower, slightly lower temperature. It is um, used in oil-based dielectric fluid. And it is um, kind of just, you move the, the dielectric fluid and it moves throughout all the systems. And it's really good for people that want to go in and out. So if you utilize your, you know, you're physically touching the units a lot uh -huh. and the servers, that's a good option for you. Um, the other option is for, it's two phase immersion. So um, I currently work for Train mm -hmm. and we just did a two uh, series B investment in Liquid Stack, which is a two phase immersion cooling company. So two phase is a um, sealed system, hermetically sealed, not pressurized. Um, and it works at a slightly higher temperature and it works on a evaporative and con condensing system with a, uh, a non-oil-based dielectric fluid. Um, and then it you send chilled water or water into it to cool off the, the fluid. So, um, and the, the air. So it's, it's an, there are a couple different options. It just matters what type of system you need you can use multiple systems it depends mm -hmm. on what you're you know you need in your space depends on what type of equipment you have right. so there's a few different types but they're not like none none's better than another it's just you know right how you use them. So, so um uh, forgive my uh ignorance as i ask some of these questions be patient with me remember yeah. we're recording the video so if you look like that's a stupid question I'm going to see it and everybody who watches this podcast is going to see it. So <laughs> just keep that in mind. Let's talk about the first type of, um, and we haven't set this up. Like I have no idea. I'm just going to ask to learn. Um, I, you called it phase one. There's phase one and phase two. Is that the right way to frame yep. the question? Okay. So phase, phase one. Single phase, two phase. Single phase. Okay. Single phase, two phase. Got it. So if I'm going to single phase and I bring my... Um, uh, sideways freezer out there. Or I bring my big box full of liquid. And do I, are these like blade systems that I'm just sliding down inside the the liquid and they're able to operate in there um, without like the whole system is immersed or is it um, just components are immersed? The single phase is a whole, it's a whole system. So okay. what you would normally have a server, you mentioned Dell earlier, so I'll yeah. Them. So say you have a full Dell server would be say this wide, right? Right. Or you know, say three or four inches tall. Right. Um, now a, the same server which they would make for immersion would be right. maybe an inch tall, or or smaller. So and then you put that into the fluid, and it, it does do the same idea. It goes into it's it's like think a filing cabinet where you right. put it in in in, in a row. Um, everything would be in there. So there's. Um, it's the dielectric fluid is it you know it's non-conducive so you can put in any of the powers in there all the um switching and all the networking gears in there um there is a lot of a lot of times people will put the networking gear separate because it's not as dense right. and you don't need to keep it in there and and we space so there right. there's a few different options again so sometimes hybrid hybrid discussions are needed to have right. 
air and liquid or some types of different types of liquid. Yeah. So they can just like, I could literally just lift my wafer or whatever out of the thing, do whatever I'm going to do to it, click it back into place and go on about my business. Yep. Wow. I don't have to wear like special gloves or anything. (laughs) So the it's oil based. Um, it depends on the type of of dielectric fluid being used. Some people, some um, companies use their own dielectric fluid. There are multiple companies out there right now looking at um, natural sourced dielectric fluids for single phase immersion. Um, so I'm gonna I'm it's a horrible way to say it, but I think biodiesel for dielectric sure. fluid. Um, but that's the idea is, is to try and make it where it's even safer. The, the, probably the, the two biggest, uh, drawbacks from, from that are, it is oil-based. So it's not, you take your hands out your, it is oily, right? right? Um, so even though you can take it out and put it back in regularly, it's not super clean for for you. (laughs) Right. Um, and then as far as the, um, the pumping of the dielectric fluid, it's, it's harder to pump. So it's a little bit thicker and you have to worry about, you know, the power of the pumps being used and, and it, it has some limitations to, for that, but it's, it, it, like I said, it, it, you, you just said it, you could pull it out and put it right back in and it works just fine. Right. I can't imagine that that would be like, even, even with air cooling, like to go in and out of your rack regularly to, um, uh, not to stand there and work on it, but to but to like you know slide the thing on the rails. We were talking about a two U server earlier that might be a you know um, might be shrunk from a two or three U down to a one U. So that's just the size of how wide it is, um, or how tall it is would be a better way to think about it. We tr- once once a system system is racked and stacked. There's so much complexity on the back end between the cabling and the power and whatever. If you have to move it regularly. You designed something wrong. You should not have to do that regularly. So I can't imagine like it's a every week thing, much less every day. So it's probably an uncommon uh, circumstance, but it would bring a level of complexity if you've if you've got um, you know today I just have to worry about not disturbing the environment around me if I move that box in an airflow. Um, but my airflow is only going to get me to a certain performance level. When we were talking about before about density to heat. So if I need a performance and it feels like, and we're going to talk about that more in a little bit, it feels like more and more of these environments need this performance. Um, we're going to, as an IT person, I'm going to need to rethink how I do maintenance windows, how often I touch this thing. How do I make changes to my environment? Because there's a... Um, this is a not a normal complex. I say normal. It's not a regular complexity that most of us that grew up in this grew up in it. Um, but it feels like it's something we're just going to have to learn how to develop if we want to be able to serve, you know, modern AI and modern other tools. This is the digital infrastructure we're going to have. Yeah, it it's interesting because there it, it's a different mindset, which I think is going to start going away. So. A lot of the um, enterprise, traditionally enterprise data centers do, I'll use the word futs with their rack, right? They'll pull right. things out, they'll move things around. That's yeah. going away as time goes on. Obviously, people are moving to the cloud, they're moving to Kokolo. Right. And I, I think that there's um, a more more of an understanding of how those systems should be set up so they don't, I'll uh, say, set it and forget it, right? You want to make sure it's going to be in, in a spot and it's not going to be touched and um, 
it, it's easier to monitor as well. Uh, and, and I think that that's, that's an easier way to, when you know where things are and you know what they've been updated properly, yeah. uh, just in general, aside from liquid cooling. So I, I think that that's just something that's moving toward that direction anyway. Yeah. Uh, just for the, because podcasts, you know, the words aren't always uh, clear. We were spelling that word F-U-T-Z. Is that right? Futz? I want to make sure I've got that. Is that a New York term or is that a mechanical engineering term? I've not, I've not heard that one, but I'm adding it to my lexicon. It's, yeah. um, it's definitely a, a portion of New York that they use the word use that word so i like i like it i can just imagine so many people listening right now put their hand on the mic like what what was that <laughs> go look it up new word spell it correctly could be surprised <laughs> so fun so what um so if i don't have to touch my systems regularly it's it feels like one of the advantages of system one is it's probably um, you can if you need interaction, it's more easily interacted with. I can interact a blade or server or whatever at a time. Whereas the system two, the sealed one, uh, if you want to interact with anything there, you have to take the entire system offline. Like it, it sounds like it's a much more complex entity to interact with, and so that might be more of a long term. Or are we am I misunderstanding um, the complexity? It's um... So it's hermetically sealed, but as I said, it's not pressurized. So it you it's not a um, it's not as hard to to inter, to get into as you'd think. Right. The biggest concern about opening it is because you're evaporating a fluid and then you're condensing it, and it evaporates at a very low temperature. I mean, mm -hmm. it, you're you're going to lose some. So mm -hmm. you're worried about fluid losses if you open it too often. Um, it really isn't a ton of losses, but over time it will, it would add up if you're opening it weekly or whatever it might be. Right. So it's a good design for, um, when you're talking about things that you can just leave. So, um, where you mentioned AI earlier, um, yeah. th those, those high, you know, those high use AI or, um, <laughs> gaming platforms where you're yeah. talking about having them run all the time. Um, Bitcoin is a big one for, for that as well. Um, anything that has to just sit and, and let it be storage. If something you've high, if you've high density storage, right. that's another one, if you don't have to get into it regularly, but the big, the big reason that that's the big benefits for that type of topology is the, um, you're talking really, really good efficiency, but also it's high density. So right. You're talking for a normal 48U rack that you would have in your data center. It's 250 kW. So wow. it's incredibly high and, and it's a, a lot different uses for that that high, you know, high temperature fluid. Yeah. So and what is the only the other part that's nice about it too is when you take your hands out, your hands are dry because it evaporates so easily. Yeah. I like that. I um I I can't I sit on this chair that I uh, do the adjusting and it has graphite on it. I can't tell you how many times I look like a painted zebra because I touch the graphite and get it on my <laughs> face. I could not imagine having a system where I I leave the data hall smelling like uh you know um my Italian salad dressing because I got it on me. That probably would not be. A, I already got enough things working against me. That would not be a good look. <laughs> Dave, did you just come from the servers? No. Why do you ask? Because you have a oil slick down the side of your. Um, so the advantage of system two, you said it's slightly higher. Well, actually, first, before we pause or move on, 
250 kW rack, to put that into perspective, I don't know what the average rack is today in a regular air-cooled data hall or row, but I would imagine it's somewhere probably in the six to seven KW, if they're really getting a lot of usage out of it, usually that is a, what we would call a hyperscale customer might even be pushing 10 to 12 KW. Like if they really focus on getting 80, 80 plus percent usage out of their compute capacity, most people, as you know, are less than 50% if we're being generous and if we're being accurate, probably more like 30 to 35%. But it feels like some of these new things that are coming, some of the ways that we're going to use systems, they're going to they're they're going to exceed in the very near future. It's not going to be uncommon to see them pushing 25, 30, 40, 50. I'm sure there will be some super hot density. But but we could see, I mean I wouldn't have believed it until this past year's worth of conversations, but we could see 50 KW racks being pretty normal in, in the very near future. And, and so, um, uh, you know, it's, it's a conversation that we're having to, we've always been prepared. I shouldn't say we've always been prepared. We've always entertained from mechanical engineers and scientists in this space. How would we solve the problem? We just didn't see um, an urgent need to solve it because we thought we'd have a, a ramp up to it because our customers weren't asking for it as a normal solution. Yeah. Everybody's asking for it now. What's your plan? How are you going to get there? How are you going to get there in what time frame? Yeah. Um, and it, you know, it's not just a matter of wheel in your vat of fluid and <laughs> drop your things in it, right? You have to make sure the engineering's right, the maintenance is right, recovery is correct. How do you recycle like there's a lot there to um, manage beyond just pull out the old system and put in the new system. And if for and you mentioned, we mentioned the servers for the single phase, but servers for the two phase are literally component board level. Mm. So it's straight boards you're putting in because that's how you get such a high density. So right. you, it, you're you're changing the load, you're changing your server, you're changing right. the layout of your data center, you're changing your piping, even if you had chilled water in there before, you're right. changing your piping systems. Um, there, there's a lot to keep in mind. Um, and then de depending on the what type of design you're using, you have to think about, um, in some cases, you have to think about your your roof, right? How much, if you're, if you're going to be having the same amount of equipment, yeah. but you're going higher density, what how are you going to maintain your your heat rejection? Do you, are you going to have enough chillers? Are you going to have enough space to put everything? Right. So there's a there's a lot of questions are surrounding that. It's not like you said. It's not just rip and replace. Yeah, you're making my head hurt just thinking about that. I'm glad <laughs> I, I'm glad I'm not in that space. I'm curious. So we um, so there are probably more than one vendor that can offer. We're talking about sort of the solution in general. Is it is there a wide variety between the different players on how they solve these system one, system two, or direct to chip uh, stuff? And I guess what I mean is, in the early days of making automobiles, they had four tires, they had a steering wheel. Um, you know, there were components that the uh, uh, government said in order to operate a vehicle, it has to fit within these boundaries. But there's a lot of creativity within the early development of that back to VCRs when we first 
uh, started talking, there were core components of them that everybody had to have. But there were not just VHS players, there were beta players, VHS, there were laser discs, there was all kinds of ways to play um, personal media at home. And so that was the experience. We're talking about liquid cooling in general. It's this, it's this uh, ability to take a computer system environment, whether it's storage, compute, whatever it is, and run it at a much higher density or heat than you normally would under air. Are there, is there a wide variety of ways that people approach this, either in the medium that they use or the size of the systems or the temperatures that they range? Or is it pretty standard, their variations of a theme and then maybe the excellence of the engineering staff that support it? I'm curious about the, the diversity of ideas on how to solve the problem. Um, there's probably more diversity in the direct chip systems because there's different ways to get the fluid to the servers themselves. Some of them require specific servers that are only can be used with their system. Other ones have different options that they could use. So there's, there's a, a few different options in that space where sometimes you're using a pump in the room. Sometimes it's in outside the room and mm. there's, there's a few different options for single phase and two phase immersion. You're talking Similar technologies, but like you said, there's just some things that differentiate different players against other ones. So, for example, I mentioned before, some of the single phase immersion companies make their own dielectric fluid or mm. offer their own. Um, for uh, two phase, someone might be using, you know, for example, they're they're a specific condensing coil that they would that they have patented or whatever. But there's um, there are there are slight differentiations. There's um, there's also going to be a few changes moving forward. So um, I know, I don't know how, we, we don't have to get super deep into this, but there's been um, some conversations about PFAS. Uh, <laughs> so um, they talk about forever chemicals and the making them and making them into the, the concerns are the production process of them. Mm -hmm. The concerns are having them around as long as they stay um, so companies like 3M said that they're going to sunset all their PFAS fluids by 2025. Okay. Um, it started happening in Europe. They started mentioning it. It everything has PFAS. So um, there's, for example, the like your cell phone has PFAS in it. There's all these different things have PFAS. Nonstick sure. pans have it. Um, so you, you, people you cook with it. So there's, it's a lot of different ways that, that that's being used, but they're, so they're going to be backing off probably a good amount from those rose regulations, but it's causing people to look into different fluid types and it's causing people to think about different ways to reject the heat and, and utilize that, you know, that transfer. So I think we're going to see some more distinctions going forward from people, like I said, using the more natural-based fluids and, and different types of technologies from that, which may, different, may differentiate companies, but it also may differentiate technologies. So what I heard from all of that is I can go home and freak my wife out and tell her the food I'm cooking tonight could have been used to cool a computer. No. <laughs> could be PFAS. Um, it's, which I think is the right thing. Look, I think in all seriousness, I think it's the right thing to do as we evaluate technology, the components, rare earth components, hard to recycle components, hard to gather components that we use. 
in digital infrastructure, whether it's in liquid cooling or it's in telecom or uh, the walls that we build for data center, whatever, we should constantly go back and evaluate the cost, the impact to our communities, the impact to uh, the environment around us um, for a wide variety of reasons. And so that that makes sense to me. It is, um, and I'm all for anything that gets us to less regulation, not no regulation, but less regulation so we can move. Because when I say, sometimes I get in trouble on the show when I say this, I'm not anti-regulation. I If we can come up with a design that's so simple and straightforward that that just by design it doesn't require a lot of regulation which is another way of saying a lot of red tape but it's safe easily operated um inexpensive easily recycled easily in quotes well then that's you know it lends itself to a faster easier more agile solution the more complicated these things are, the more the more difficult they are, whether they lend themselves to e-waste or something like that, you're going to have more regulation because it's important how we harvest, set up, maintain, um, recycle and discard, and the more impact around us. And so we want to make sure that um, we do that in the in a correct manner, which we don't always, you know, our industry doesn't always do, although there's a lot of scrutiny on it now. So that makes sense to me. I'm I'm curious to hear how that develops over time, especially when we're in these, it feels like a tsunami. Like we've been talking about this for a long time and it's not here, it's not here and now it's here. And so we're all of us, the users, the end users, like our organization, the developers and the engineers, like your organization and other organizations like yours, trying to figure out like, how do we get this? How do we bring these solutions to bear to solve the problem and do it in an economic safe, um, operationally efficient way. I, I don't envy, uh, I don't envy the task in front of you. And it's interesting too, because there's a, there's a double, it's, it's two-sided. And I, I totally agree with you. If there was a way to do this today with something that you could like go to a a major chain and, and you make your own your own fluid from that, you know, resourced oil. Um, Sure, absolutely. But right now when we, they meant, I hate the term forever chemical, but it is um, long lasting. But part of the reason that's a good use for it, because if, for example, you could re, you could clean the fluid and reuse it again and again and again. So you don't have to make more of it. Right. So the process of making it, you do once. But I think what's really interesting is that, that so that fluid for two-phase immersion is actually used to clean like all digital components. Mm. So before computer components get put into something, they're cleaned with the exact same fluid. So people ask all the time, oh, you don't have to clean it, make sure it's not, you know, there's a there's no issues with the equipment. Is it going to break it down? It's actually cleaning it. Right. So it's actually cleaner than you when you put it in there. Um, so there, it's a concern as far as the uh, it, it, this one purpose, but in reality, it's being used all the time across the planet for all these different things. Right. And it, it, it's, I, I agree with you there, there needs to be alternatives, but right now that's, this is what we're working with. Right. Well, look, we're going to expand and grow. And so if our, you know, as we, as we, I've said this, I've heard, I'm sure I co-opted this um, from somebody uh, we want to get to paradise, but we got to eat on our way to paradise. So as we're growing, um, you know, we'll adopt solutions that work for today. 
and we'll continue to evolve those. And hopefully as we evolve them, they, they get, um, they get better and better in their uses and there's less interaction with them. Uh, but it's not going to stop progress. So we just keep working on it. I'm curious. One of the things though, that I started thinking about when we were thinking about, um, immersion cooling, maybe all liquid cooling, uh, today in a data center, we design to a certain weight. Like we imagine there's a certain amount of weight per rack or whatever. This is just off the top of my head. I'm, I'm, I'm wondering as we think about bringing in liquid cooling into the equation, um, organizations like ours, do they, do they work with a team like train to not just imagine how we would get the, the chips cooler, get the medium to it, but the, but the entire environment, like how do I get the systems in and out? How do I, how do I do maintenance on the infrastructure or build out the new infrastructure? What's my weight consideration? One of the things that we've had to do in Northern Virginia used to be data centers. You couldn't go up. You wouldn't have multi-stories. The industry wouldn't accept that. Now you can um, you would just go wider, but there's only so much land. So you can only go right. so wide, right? And the community generally doesn't like big sprawling buildings and I wouldn't either. I appreciate that. So we're more and more designs in our world are going up, not just out. And that then implies if we're bringing liquid cooling to some or all of the solutions, certainly over time, it, I can't imagine a future. I don't know what the time frame is 10 years from now, three hours from now, where we're not going to have primarily liquid cooling. Um, am I thinking about that right? That we would have to adjust the the weight load, the other components of the of the center to support infrastructure like this. So, most data centers, if if it's for example, if it's designed to support the battery cabinet of a UPS, right, then you will be fine. Okay, it, it's the temp the the amount of weight. So, say for example, a thirty five hundred pound rat 30 inch wide rack right right that that's going to be more that's going to be heavier than any of the tanks that we're talking about okay so that is as long as we're we're the floor and all your weight ratings are based on that it's not it shouldn't be an issue there's a trade-off here with space and power so they say you have 100 megawatts in a, a large data center over two floors mm -hmm. um there is a potential with liquid cooling to go down 60% of that footprint. Mm. So you might only have to have one floor on the same power. So your question, it becomes, do I want to do more in this facility? Can I get more power and maybe do 200 megawatts in the same building? Mm. Or what do I do with the other floor if I'm, if I'm not using it? So the one of the benefits we're talking about a little bit of like the reduce reuse you know the, right. from the the uh fluids but there's a heat reuse aspect to this which isn't really available for air so air is you know usually you have to go over 35c it's pretty pretty high to get that right. for heat reuse with air and that's yeah it, it's i mean i'm not I'm, i don't know a lot of people like walking around 100 degree data center right Nobody my size, not happening, <laughs> as you've heard before. Yeah. I don't like to get at them when they're 80. I'm like, 80, <laughs> this place is crazy. Yes, you're right. It, But it, it, it's, you know, it's not really feasible to run it like that all the time. And you're not going right. to get a whole lot out of, out of it. Right. Liquid cooling, regardless of type, you have the option to do a better option to do heat reuse from a liquid to liquid transfer. So 
in Europe, there's a lot of places that do district heating and options for that, but there's some places are actually requiring it now. Mm. So you're saying you're going to build a new data center, X amount has to use heat re- recovery and, and being sent to whatever it might be. Right. Um, we've done some here in the US that have gone to, for example, like a trout farm or um, the district, district heating or cooling, uh, community pools, the employee parking lot. So it doesn't, or a nearby parking lot. So it doesn't freeze in the winter. Um, there's a lot these of, these different- are, these are such first world problems. I love oh, it. Yeah. I love the reuse of the heat. I genuinely do. I think it's, you know, the only place I was familiar with before was um, Iceland yep. because they've got the thermal, right? Yeah. But I want to be in that boardroom when they say, so look, here's <laughs> what we can do. Pretty sure Ted's baiting trout shack up the street could use this. <laughs> And we can make deck three and deck four out there just toasty like your bathroom floor. I love that the, <laughs> I genuinely, I love it. I'm not even trying to be funny or sarcastic that there are so many now in Atlanta where I'm at, probably not that big of a deal, but up there in the snow belt of Buffalo and Cleveland and, you know, any lake effect or even there, um, Long Island, I got to imagine that if you can capture, because um, data center is just going to get hotter and hotter. You know, you were, you were making me smile earlier when you said, you know, look, you could shrink your footprint. I remember when I got my first 32 inch flat screen TV for my house. And the way I sold that to my wife was we'll never need another TV. This thing's amazing, <laughs> Danielle. And now I have a 4k 70 inch led TV on the wall and I'm wondering why isn't it 8K with quantum dots? Like, will ne- <laughs> I don't know. And I am as conscientious about the um, the unnecessary tech that we consume and have as anybody else in my more lucid moments. But when I'm watching my disc golf or my dirt bike racing or the football or whatever, I want to see the hair on the pimple of the player that's doing the whatever. I just don't. I think that. The more we use, the more we want, the more we yeah. want, the more we wake. And so I would think about it a little bit differently. And these ideas are my own and they don't represent QTS or train, but it would be instead of me having to make bigger data centers, at least in the near term, I could take my existing infrastructure and quadruple potentially its capability within the walls Instead of maybe, I just don't think it's realistic that we're going to shrink um, the usage. I think another way to say it would be instead of me having to push out walls and consume more space, you know, to your point earlier, I can contain it all. I can get much more density out of this place. And then the side benefit is we learn how to harness that heat, which we're, we're sort of sitting around with now, like, what am I going to do with this? Well, now if I can leverage it, whether you're in a warmer environment like Atlanta or um, the Gulf Coast or whatever, there are plenty of uses for rejected heat. We'll find a market for those places, much less the uh, cooler places that could um, that could use it directly, whether it's heating homes or, uh, you know, in, enhancing fishing or whatever. But yeah, I think we'll, we'll probably, it'll just be a matter of we're going to consume more. I remember my first computer I brought home and said... Pfft. 
you know, it's got a 40 meg hard drive. And my dad's like, you'll never fill that thing. <laughs> and, you know, and now we deal with um, hundreds of gigabytes in little micro cards that hang on our keychain. You know what I mean? We our our desire for more, I don't think is going to be satiated and anytime soon. I definitely led with the fun stuff. Yeah, the, I know. I know. But the other options are obviously you could I'm using pure examples of when you can't get more power. Right. So you could lease the space to an office. You right. could do indoor ag. And yeah. to keep reuse indoor ag and lease oh, space that's, for yeah, ag. That'd be a great idea. So that is that, a great idea. That's one of the biggest ones, I have to say. If heat for heat reuse, indoor ag is one of the biggest ones, especially um in places like Canada and other and other locations like that. Well, um Norway does a lot of salmon farming that way too. Like you mentioned Iceland, but that that's yeah. a it's just a norm. You build a data center, it's just that's how you kind of set things up. Can you imagine if it's your job to make sure you tune that correctly and you come in in the morning and there's a bunch of fish float and you're like, rut row, <laughs> missed, we missed, dial it down too, dial it down. That would be, uh, that'd be significant. <laughs> so I, I want to pause for a second. When you guys sit around, do you get to mess with the R and what's your role? Let me ask you that. What's your role at train right now? So I oversee our data center team. So meaning, um, I, so I'm an engineer, so my background uh, allows me to talk about products specific to the data center vertical. I work with um, any of our initiatives with any partner companies uh, as far as our initiatives with our individual customers. Our data center team typically focuses on uh, colo and hyperscale, So, mm. uh, and then a few others, so think like Fed, some Edge, Telecom. Right. Um, but there's we we don't typically do our regional teams typically do all enterprise data centers. Uh, but yeah, so I'm I oversee our, our data center team for train. Do you get to go into the R&D meetings and say, stop the presses, this is what's going on? Or do you get to hear any? Um, how do I make this corporate appropriate? Um, do you get to hear any interesting proposals? Let me give you a, for example, we sometimes in our world, look, we get to sit at the seat or at the table of some of the, not just largest buyers, but the pushing the boundary of what can we do with digital infrastructure companies on earth? Like we don't want a case around a server anymore. This was 20 years ago. We just want like a little pizza box. We don't even want pizza boxes. We want to stick them in liquid. We don't, we don't want it. Like it, it seems today it's kind of blase, but 10 or 15 years ago, as we're working with these organizations, they're always pushing the boundaries of what if they're constantly doing that. We, I'm in all those conversations. Really? Um, we, have some really interesting i do a presentation on sustainability and cooling and part of it we talk about just future ideas uh -huh. right uh -huh. um there's a company called skybox um not to really pitch a ted talk on your talk but yeah, pitch it there, yeah there's a there's a great ted talk um about skybox about its radiative cooling so um it's using uh, panel rooftop panels and they they put a film on the panels and it uh, it uses the same technology that basically Egyptians used to make ice using this technology. So in the desert, so and it 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 uses the basically the cold of space. Right. Um, thinking things from you know hot wants to go to cold. It's right. really interesting. It's I think it's a 13, 12, 14 minute TED talk, but it's really interesting. Um, then we talk about doing uh, trim PV for chillers. So for example, there's you have 
places like California, where there's extremely high um, rates during the day and low rates at night, you can do ice storage. So you run the chiller during hours, you might not necessarily need it, do ice storage and run it less during the day, um, and then trim using PV for the all of the you know controls and things like that. What does PV um, mean? Oh, sorry, uh, so solar. Oh, okay. <laughs> Photovoltaic. Um, so there, there's a, a lot of different options out there for, for outside the box thinking. So it's not something, those are both some things that are like our companies look either looking into working with Skybox or we're, we're doing our own design. But there's like one of my friends founded a company, um, it's called Subsea and they do um, submerged data centers. So it's a zero pressure system where they basically do, well, negative pressure where they do um, filled with fluid and you you submerge the entire data center under the ocean. I think it goes something to like 9,000 feet. Really? And it's yeah. And so it's, it's radiative cool. It's really, it's really great. Yeah. Uh, but it, and there's a lot of applications for it. Things are being already deployed with it. Um, Saltwater, freshwater. But so th those are things that outside the box thinking, right. That you, that to just have the ideas of the things that maybe not next year, maybe not in 10 years, but this could be something that more people could be doing. Um, that's how liquid cooling was 10 years ago. And right. like that, that seems to be the way things are going. I would love to see that intern you hire and hand him a parka to go into the ice room at the data center. Like <laughs> that would be, that would be a TikTok worth making. Like, wait a minute, what am I doing here? Yep. Take the snow shovel. You're going to go in there and load up <laughs> some ice blocks. That'd be really cool. You know, uh, Microsoft, um, I'm pretty sure it was Microsoft been a while now, maybe five years, something like that. But they put a um, data center off the coast of California. And one of the things they were experimenting with was, um, and by data center, we don't mean a, a massive hyperscale, but still a data center, a little, a, a small modular one to test. And if I remember correctly, one of the things they were doing first, how would it operate? It was cooled by the ocean. But the other was they're experimenting with um generating power from tides as the tidal action happened as water flowed through um some of the mechanical devices it would uh in the same way that a river you know a hydro works um my arm is battling with me on uh, whether to hit my chin or not um it 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 was just a i love to hear about these future ideas about how could this how could this work and we may after experimentation say meh Interesting idea. We either don't have the tech for it yet, or the costs aren't there or whatever, but it's worth experimenting with and exploring. And I love to hear these ideas that um, very entrepreneurial minded people that are trying to solve a problem come out from um, some of these conversations and get to, to kick around these ideas and see where we can take them. Yeah. And, and, and there's some interesting things coming that way because of, because of that, what we're talking about, the higher densities and things where people are going, I can't possibly cool this with air. And right. you just mentioned, there's a lot of places don't want to have extra footprint. And yeah. so you have to think about where, where are their options? So that, yeah, I agree. Um, I want to change for a little bit from technical, although I, we're talking about liquid cooling, so we can't completely get away from the technical, but when you come into an organization, whether it's like ours or anybody that you might be talking to, certainly, so our organization has a combination of engineering-minded people, 
who um, uh, engineers, starting engineer centric with business, or they're business minded people who are learning engineering um, require as needed in order to operate in a in an industry like ours. When you go in front of executives and have this conversation about bringing this kind of cooling and this in, in, um, this kind of infrastructure into the conversation. In data centers, we're looking at assets that are at least 20 years. You know, we expect to be performing for at least 20 years. And really with retrofitting, significantly longer than that. We may not pub publicly say that, but significantly longer than that we expect. So when you sit down and you have a business conversation, how do you how do you help them think about the ROI and the in the um the time frame? Um, for them to think about where these solutions, in other words, it's not a, it's an adjustment unless it's a, a ground built from the ground up, a greenfield built from the ground up to accommodate. So they've got to adjust their infrastructure, receive this gear, get it deployed, and then run it for a period of time. Do you get a lot of resistance from uh, more business minded than engineering minded people? And if so, how do you, how do you help them see the potential of um, these solutions? There's, there's a couple sides to it. So there's the, the like, well, let's talk about Greenfield first. Right. Just, how, how, let's plan the planning is should be there. Right. Um, you might not want to pay now from an economic standpoint and a business standpoint, but if you decide to change this later, you'll be paying more. And there's a high possibility that you'll require downtime to do the what you need to do to get that facility ready for right. this type of application. So that's more of a, as you said, if you want it to last you that long, what's the cost of you either doing that retrofit later or scrap and rebuild later? Mm -hmm. So that's the, compared to doing it today as an additional add, which usually it just means a couple extra pipes. It's like from a day one, if you're not doing it right away. Right. Um, from a brownfield perspective, if you're trying to say, well, we want to switch everything out going all over. It is a full, it's not a roofing a rack around. This right. is a completely different conversation. You need to DR or whatever type of design you want to do. And then think about kind of just building it from building the, the, the sticks can be there for the building, but you have to build the heat rejection and piping and all that right. pretty much from mostly from scratch. Yeah. Reason I ask is in public companies, um, and I know I'm probably going to get a little over my skis, but it's my conversation. So I'm going to say it this way. <laughs> it is um, for an executive team when they're measured on their success or failure of performance, they call it long-term measurement, which is usually two years or less, year and a half to two years. The types of things that we're talking about today it may take a while to, you may have to bake in capability that you don't deploy or realize for a time frame longer than two years, probably not 10, but it would not surprise me if it took more than 18 to 24 months to realize the full potential of what it is that you're investing in. But it feels like it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when you need significant technology, at least the capability to do something like what we're talking about, if not the actual um, technology out on the floor. And so I'm just curious when you have conversations with folks that are like, look, I'm going to be measured on 
12, 18, at most 24 months of performance, and I may not realize the potential of this investment for 24, 36, 60 months down the road. Now, somebody like me, who's been a part of my particular company for 19 years now, and in this industry for a while, I like to look at the long term, but I'm not one of the, probably for that reason, I'm not one of the senior executives. And so um, we actually have a fantastic culture of that. I'm very, very fortunate. I'm very um, lucky with my CTO, my CEO. Most of our organization have a lot, have been in this industry for a long time and they recognize this. But in your role, trying to persuade both private and public organizations to adopt something that is a promise of something to come, but in a lot of instances isn't yet realized, how do you? how do you do that? Do you scare them into it? Do you uh, (laughs) sing them into it? Like, how do you, or or is it a resistance that really doesn't exist that it's easy peasy. You're just printing money. (laughs) It's um, it comes from it's bi-directional. So it comes from inside their own company. Okay. So whether it be from the use case, the people using the equipment day to day, and they're saying, you know, we're going to end up needing these chips and they're going to not be able to be cooled by air, or it's someone from their innovation team saying, Hey, we've tried this technology with our equipment. It works really well, which a lot of the companies are, the major companies are doing right now. They already have the equipment in there. They're trying it out um, and saying, this is, this is the way to go. Um, And then the other side is us coming in and saying, here's your comparative ROI, right? Right. You do this today, you're going to spend X amount of money. You do this later. And it, it, it just plan ahead for it, especially for things like you're, if you're talking about big things like chillers and such, mm-hmm. you might need the same amount of chillers, but you're, you want to add heat recovery as an option. Do the option now, just mm-hmm. pay for the option. Now that's a long lead item. That's mm-hmm. something right now that, you know, to get, it's not like it's a cheap item either. So why why don't you just do that day one rather than later think, oh, we should have done this, right? Right. No, it's it's definitely both both sides of the coin, but mostly what we're seeing right now is it's coming from inside the house. Yeah. Well, there's number one way to get engineer-minded people enraged is when you go back to the C-suite. And I love my C-suite. I'm not trying, this is not code for me picking on them. I, <laughs> I love them. I've known them for a very long time, almost all of them. One of the things, though, that I'm amusing, let's just say I'm saying for a friend, is that the engineer staff will come back and say, um, okay, look, we need to, you know, we need to do this now. And our C-suite's like, oh, you were serious. We really needed to do that. Yes. (laughs) Yes, we did. Okay, we'll just go do it. Perhaps you missed that first part where it takes 18 months to get this in. Like, this is not a, which, which then takes me, I guess, to my next question, Uh, because nothing, look, we build things at scale. Nothing's. It's not necessarily complex. Like a lot of the things we're not, we're talking about, I I don't want to be disrespectful to the engineering or the the technology, but to your point earlier, we've had some form of it for decades. And that's just in our industry, in related industries, whether it's automotive or whatever, we've been doing liquid cooling across combustion engines or other things for a very long time. But when you're doing it at scale, and then at scale at speed, it's exponentially more difficult. Yeah. And we just want them to grasp the um, the concept and to work it into the planning. And so it's be- it behooves people like me and my CTO and our CIO and our our other senior executives to come along and help educate it, educate 
the primarily business-focused people in our world that this is an investment that's really going to pay off. We should plow that field over there and get it ready. I know we're not planting food in it yet, but we will be because we've got a we've got a um, a harvest need that's coming, and we want to be prepared to plant and harvest that. I'm I'm curious. With all of that said, how difficult is it once you deploy something like this to scale it? Is there is scalability built in, um, do, or, or is it is it just a matter of wicking up the um, the ability to cool more? Or how does how does scalability come into something like what we've been discussing? So I actually want to go back to something you just said about persuading people to do something day one rather than wait, right? right. So it's the um, 179D, the tax deduction from the IRA that I went okay. through. So it's deduction. So basically tax deductions, if you show that you can have a increased sustainability for different aspects of your, your build, right. um, it has to be completed by the end of 2024. So if you have a project oh, wow. coming up soon to get that deduction, it has to be done with the completed project sooner than later, but it's by square foot. So what you were talking about earlier, you're talking thousands and sometimes millions of square feet, it right. adds up. And I think it goes up to something like $5 a square foot if you can show a certain amount of savings and that includes cooling. So if you show the planning and you put in something like heat reduction, Right. solar from it. These are types of things that can go toward that. Right. Um, then you can basically plan ahead and say, this amount of money that we're going to get for this is going to pay for the work we're doing now. And you already have your ROI. Yeah. And that's in the US, obviously. Right. But there's other places, like I said, where some of this is required anyway. Right. <laughs> so um, if, you're, if you're looking to plan ahead. Um, but to your point, from a scalability standpoint, if you're looking to scale and you're looking to, for example, we talked about that building before, say 100 megawatts, mm -hmm. two stories. If you have enough power to scale, that's usually the limiting factor with this, is that if you have enough power to scale and you, you say day one, we want to make sure that we have X amount of power for this facility to do 100 megawatts and you know that you can do it with air cooling in that space you might not be able to fill it with liquid cooling because of the density. You can only fill one floor. And then what do you right. do with the other floor? On the other side, as I mentioned earlier, say you have one huge facility, one floor, tons of space. Um, depending on the type of heat rejection you have, you might also be running out of space. So I'll use you know, for chillers as an example. If you have air-cooled chillers on the roof, mm -hmm. there's only so much space for those. Right. So, or if you have water-cooled chillers inside. So you want to make sure that you have enough footprint and enough power to support your growth. If that's accounted for, then you could easily plan piping for scaling out for this type of system. And like you said, it's the same as, you know, you, you have a couple a, a block of racks that you're not going to turn on today. So you just, you know, turn on the PDUs at one point and you start loading them up. That's the same idea with this. You can just start ramping up those, those tanks as you go, but it, it's a, it has to be planned ahead. And I, I, I hate, I, I've been on a few panels like this. I hate sounding like a broken record to say, you know, it's planning and right. it sounds so easy, but a lot of times it's there. That forethought isn't there. Right. 
Well, that, and that's not just in the mechanical world. If I've heard it once, I've heard it a thousand times, um, whether we're talking about IT, you know, the, the oh, let's just add 20 more servers. Well, but nobody talked to the network guys. How are we going to do the network to that? Yeah. Nobody talked to the storage gals. How are we going to do storage to that? Exactly. Well, we got all the network storage and compute figured out. Great. So now it's the surface of the sun. How are we going to cool it? Like yeah. it, it is um, bring the thought leaders, the engineering thought leaders of your organization together, train them on how to manage a meeting. Don't just interrupt and argue the whole time, but listen through. And then, and then how do we figure out this together? But that's overwhelming. And, and then uh, one of the things that I wanted to ask you about that we're going to touch on now is supply chain. Like, okay, we got a design. It all works. We got it. Go get me uh, enough piping to handle uh, a thousand megawatts across your campus. When do you need to buy? Is Thursday too soon? Because we'd like it Thursday. Yeah, that's, that's a little too soon. Can't do that Thursday. So that most of these things are, you know, from the time you go to, um, you get the idea of what you want to do and what's possible to get through architecture, permitting, all these other things. It's a number of collaborative conversations because there's such long lead times and it's not, um, it's very difficult partway through the process to pivot to incorporate something that maybe if you just had that conversation in the beginning um, or, or early days, maybe not the beginning, beginning, but early days um, before we've made a bunch of digital twins and, and start deploying people and figuring out capital. Um, I, I think it's not uncommon in our industry and maybe all industries like this, not so many people that you slow the process down, but enough to make sure that you're not going to have to do rework along the way. Yeah. And having the conversations early with the players that are making decisions, because you can talk about it and then have one player with your, you know, consulting engineer, no. And then the person as the project manager internally might not or vice versa. And it, it's the collaboration needs to happen earlier on. And, and that includes, this applies to all of it. I'm not right. even going to talk about, this isn't even just about liquid cooling, just in general. I feel like that, that doesn't happen enough. Yeah. So how does, um, I'm curious, uh, how is supply chain, is that impacting your world much at all? Or are you guys like Chick-fil-A, one of the only ones to figure out how to how to get people in and out of the restaurant quick? Um, so everyone, I mean, this industry was hit so with hard with that because we all single sourced from the same people and we learned right. real quick <laughs> that that's what was going on. Um, so a lot of people, we, you, you do dual sourcing, you, you find, you know, find new friends. Right. Um, but there's, there's also, for example, our, our, our factory in Europe is pretty much back to normal lead times again. So there's region regionally, it depends on what you're, you know, what type of product you're talking about. The biggest thing we run into with data centers is that everybody wants the bells and whistles. So it's a different lead time for something that is, has all the options compared to something that is just available. And maybe right. cars isn't the best example, but you that's want a, a custom example. car, it's going to take longer than something that's sitting on the lot right now. Yeah. So it's that's a, a different, that's, a, you know, the conversation we have to have, but I don't blame people. You don't want to lose your free cooling. You don't want to lose all the things that make your system more efficient. Right. Um. So there, there's a lot of things to take into account with that, but it's it's much better than than everybody, the old industry was, 
um, in the past couple of years. And it's just going to keep getting better because we're, like I said, we're having conversations. It's just a matter of, um, you know, keep keeping, again, communication, talking right. to people. Hey, what do you, do you have this? Do you need this? That kind of thing. Yeah, I love the car. I, I love and flinch at the car analogy. I, when I bought my last truck, I just, for whatever reason, I couldn't get, take what they had at the lot. I, no, no, no. And so I had, a, I ordered it from the factory. And by the time it got to my house, um, I was worn out from waiting and there, and, it, you know, <laughs> all those extra things that I wanted, um, they were important, but was it worth waiting four or five months to me? And that was pre COVID. So that was a uh, interesting time. You know, next time I'm like, just go get it from the, the doggone lot. It'll be just fine. I got um, my last car during COVID and I was pregnant. I was like seven, seven months pregnant. So I, I, I didn't want to, I live in Rhode Island now and uh -huh. I didn't want a white car because I have to wash it every day. Right. So I was waiting for the right color. And the woman was like, I don't know if we're going to get that in. I was like, well, I'm going to just leave. And she goes, right. no, people don't usually leave. And I went, you're going to watch me leave. <laughs> and I left and she called me the next day. She went, I found your color. And I went, oh, see, look at It's amazing there. that, how that works. <laughs> you know, um, well, there was a period of time there where, you know, they just, uh, um, the control lived in their, uh, in their space, but, uh, that's not their world anymore. No. <laughs> so, you know, um, we all got to get along. Hey, look, one of the things I'm, I'm curious about besides communication, if people are looking, whether it's our industry, well, let's just say our industry, what would be some of your recommendations to, uh, people listening to this about one, how do I learn more about these topics? And two, what are some of the things besides the get an engineer involved sooner, what are some of the things I should be thinking about as I'm considering adding a technology like this um, to my infrastructure? I'm going to hit communication one more time because yeah. you'd be blown away how many of the people in major organizations have reached out to us since our Series B into Liquid Sack saying, we want to learn more. I want to know more about it. This is sounds so cool. And we say... Actually, your innovation team has three of these and you could <laughs> chat with them about it and they can tell you what they think. And internal communication is a great place to start. So, um, but it, it's also a conversation so of um, internal conversation of where are you going? Right. What, what, what's your plan? So if you, for a hyperscaler, you think that, you know, the, the major, the major ones in the industry, you're thinking, well, do I, do I want to start with this or do I want to go to a co-location facility and have them do it for me the first time? Mm -hmm. Or if colo company saying, maybe we want to differentiate at one location and try it out or one part of one location and try it out. Um, those are conversations to have internally and say, well, do, do we want to do, do, do this as a direction we want to go in? Because some people are willing to do higher density and some people aren't. Some people mm -hmm. tend to do a little bit lower density or a big mix. Like I know a lot of the things that you do is a big mix. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of different ways to go to, to go with it. But um, it's obviously they can they can reach out to to me and my team um to get more information on it um liquid stacks website actually has some really nice videos to talk about it um at grc green revolution cooling has some good white papers and videos for single phase immersion um there there's a there's some good just data out there from there's there's not that many companies so there is good data 
um, from those, but for sure, um, I'm more than happy to answer any questions. And then obviously I can put people in touch with people um, in their regions. My, my role is global. So I work with everybody in all the regions, so I can also set them up with the, the right person in their, their spot. Well, Danielle, thank you so much for coming on today. What haven't we talked about that we should have? No, I, this was a great conversation and I, I'm, I, I encourage anybody, obviously anybody in the industry that wants to, to learn more, obviously you're welcome to reach out to me, but um, there's, there's so much movement going on with this. So it, what this conversation might change in a year from slightly, but it's the, it's still moving that direction. Right. So it, it's, it's really, it's going to be interesting to see what, what happens, whether it be the, um, the people adopting or whatever type of, uh, a way it changes, but I'm, I'm, I'm excited to see where it goes. Me too. And we'll, uh, we'll have you come back on again and we could see, what we predicted that was right and what we get in trouble from for this uh, conversation, but it'll be, it'll be a lot of fun. Thanks for hanging out with me today. Deal. Of course. Thank you. All right. Well, it's my great pleasure having you on. If you liked that conversation, uh, hit the like button. And if you loved it, subscribe. We'll see you next time, everybody. Take care. 